I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. We're back after a bit of an absence because James went on holiday, which apparently meant we couldn't record without him, although we are recording without him tonight because he's got some kind of old man disease again. <laughs> uh, so yes, I'm Steve Norman. I'm joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Jerry McCauley. Hello. Uh, this week we'll be doing a... Father's Day themed triple bill, uh, best movie dads, um, but we'll also be chucking in one nominee for worst movie dad as well. Uh, before that, we've got what we've been watching, um, but we'll start off with the news, and there has been a fair bit of movie news to discuss this week. Uh, Owen has got something from the Man of Steel premieres. Yeah, apparently the Man of Steel premiere was tonight, which would be a few days ago when people are listening to that, but it's tonight as we're uh, recording the podcast, and uh, reviews I think have been pretty mixed, but none seem to be, I haven't seen anybody say it was a terrible film, they seem to range from people going, no, it was okay, to people who are genuinely uh, gushing over it, so, you know, it's um, it's getting fairly mixed reviews, 66% on Rotten Tomatoes when I checked earlier. It gets lower every time I look at it, which is a bit worrying. Um, but, you know, I'm still looking forward to seeing it. I'm sure I'm sure it'll actually be pretty good. I don't tend to take the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes too seriously, but um, 66% is a little bit worrying. I don't know. Anyway, have I've, you guys heard anything about the film? Or I've just heard mixed reviews. Some people were yeah. saying that World War Z was getting better reviews in it, which, or you know, percentage-wise on... Various scorekeeping movie review websites, which is either worrying for Man of Steel or encouraging for World War Z. Yeah, well, I, I think Man of Steel started uh, the first few reviews that got posted. It was around sort of seventy-seven, seventy-six percent. So it's dropped almost to ten percent, really. Um, I imagine World War Z will go the same way as well. Uh, are a lot of people just saying, "Good, oh, it's not Batman," and um. Yeah, it's tricky though because I think a lot of people are going and expecting it to be a bit like Batman Um, and without seeing it, only looking at the trailers, it looks like a different kind of film. It looks Mm. a little bit more arty, I think. It's not going to be Batman, I mean, the clues with the title character. The the Guardian review of it um, said that this kind of, the early scenes are very reminiscent of Batman Begins and it looks like, you know, that's Nolan and David Goya's influence, and they're they're the most successful bits of the film, actually, apparently. Yeah. So interesting, but a total film gave it four stars. I read that earlier. Um, I think Empire were Empire were quite positive about it. Mm. 
as well. I've not really read anything beyond that, to be honest. I've read a few, but... Yeah, I mean, I think a few people have come out. I saw a few reviews on Letterboxd, and some people were sort of really, um, as I say, just gushing over it. So, mixed reviews, I think it's fair to say. The only other bit of news, really, that I've noticed this week... Um, so a couple of things, but the trailer for the new Hobbit film, Desolation of Smog. Is that how you pronounce it? Smog, Smog. Anyway, Why the not? new Hobbit. Yeah, whatever. Um, any of you guys seen it? Not yet. No. No. Yeah, it looks okay. It looks more of the same, which is understandable, I guess. But this time it's got Legolas in it. Um, hard to tell whether it'll be better or worse from just a two-minute teaser trailer. Um, but you know, I quite enjoyed the first film. I thought. The new trailer looks decent, like I say, more of the same, really. As long as it's, and it's not three and a half hours long again. As long as it, it probably will be. It'll probably be a really long film. Um, and, yeah, nothing else exciting, really. John Chu's confirmed as directing the third G.I. Joe film. That's breaking news. Is he, um, has he taken on board my idea of, of getting Action Man, being James <laughs> Statham involved? <laughs> Literally, all I read was that he's confirmed, but he would be a fool if he didn't. Can you get it, can you get in my can you get me his email address because I can make some money off of this idea. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll get his agents' uh, contact details for you, and you can just send it straight through. I don't go through. Um, I don't go through agents. I go straight to the manager. Just direct to the man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the other bit of film news, I guess, is. Um, well, it's one of the ideas we had for our triple bill of films based on true stories. Is actually James, one of James's ideas is going into production. Leonardo DiCaprio is going to star in a film about Rasputin. Did he pick DiCaprio as the actor he wanted to play? I can't remember. No, Bigo Mortensen you wanted. Mm. So he was just thinking beard, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, just anyone who's had a beard yeah. in the last sort of two or three years. Yeah. And yeah, but you know, I think DiCaprio would be a good choice for him. Which is odd, though. I thought DiCaprio had sort of retired from films after um, Django and Great Gatsby, but. I guess not. But anyway, yeah, DiCaprio to star in a film about Rasputin sounds quite good, actually. That's it, it appeals to me, I'm not going to lie. Mm. Have, you, have we heard the Michael Bay news as well? Uh, yeah, what is it? He's doing a Ghost Recon film? Yeah, he's doing Ghost Recon. Um, Recon, yeah. And Ubisoft have said they're going to have uh, films of Watch Dogs, Far Cry and Rabbids as well. They've already got Assassin's Creed and Splinter Cell being made in addition to uh, Ghost Recon as well. So Ubisoft games going going pretty mainstream in the film world. Yeah, well, after the first couple bomb, which I'm probably... Well, I'm almost certain that they will, as video game movies always do. Um, I imagine they'll probably re-address those um, ideas. We might see it drop out of production. I'm, I'm genuinely excited to see Fassbender do Assassin's Creed. If they handle it properly, that has the potential to be absolutely fantastic. Mm. Because the Assassin's Creed games are really, really interesting. Tom Hardy and Splinter Cell less so, I must say. Mm. The Assassin's Creed games are weird, though. I only played the first one, and I thought it was a really interesting idea, but got a bit tedious and really... Um, the first one's really... Yeah, all the problems in the first one they kind of got rid of, and the second, the, yeah. the second is just a, a million times better than the first one. Does the story get better? Yeah, way better, way way better. And the last one has is like uh, colonial America. It's got pirate ships and stuff. It's well cool. Hmm. And yeah, anybody not not played them, they're really good. The, the story arc is quite interesting. It's a bit far fetched at times, but if you're a bit of a history geek like me, they are absolutely brilliant. Hmm. 
Yeah, but that's basically all I've got for film news, unless there's anything else. I think, what was it you mentioned earlier, Steve? Were you talking about something uh, just before we started recording? Yes, Dumb and Dumber sequel has been passed over by Warner Brothers, so it's oh, got right, to be, yeah. it's gotta be um, offered to other studios to hope it's going to be made. Um, it's got quite a low budget. So, yeah, Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels have agreed to come back to it, but Warner Brothers decided to pass over on the idea, so hmm. uh, devastating news if that doesn't get made. It's the biggest news that I can't believe I overlooked that. Mm. It, it will get made. Someone's going to pick that up. It's, I think the budget's less than $30 million, so it's going to get picked up, let's be honest. It's, it's going to be... Someone's going to make that because there's money to be made because there's enough people like us of people of a certain age will have seen and loved Dumb and Dumber and will go and watch that film because everyone forgets that Dumb and Dumber got made so we'll just we'll just leave that one out <laughs> I think that might be the worst film I've ever seen in the cinema actually now that I think about it yeah and I've never seen it I'm not that keen to either oh god I mean Steve is probably more qualified to talk about shit films but that is one bad <laughs> I've not seen it I won't tarnish my eyeballs with it that's the thing, isn't it? It'll just make the other film seem worse in retrospect. Mm. And I don't want to do that. It's not even related. It's, uh, <laughs> it's genuinely it's one of the worst films I've ever seen. It's just mind-blowingly bad. I think it's probably the worst I've paid money to see in a cinema. Wow. Okay, uh, we'll have a little break and then we'll come back with what we've been watching. Welcome back then. Um, Jerry, do you want to start us off? Because I know me and Owen have both seen the same film this week, so I imagine that will dominate a lot of the discussion. So, should we, should we get you out the way, as it were? Yeah, oh, thanks, Steve. It's all right. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about uh, The Departed this week, which is obviously, if, you don't, if you're don't, not familiar with it, Martin Scorsese film from 2006, uh, a bit of an all star cast. Um, in terms of Let's get this out of the way first. It's number 49 on the IMDb Top 250. I've seen this film three times now. It's, it's not the 49th best film ever made. It's not It's not that good. It's not even... You know, if we're talking top 50s, uh, there's Scorsese films, which are much better than it, several of them. Um, it is a good film, though, but because I've seen it a few times, I'm sure most people have seen it, what I wanted to talk about is kind of... This is the first time I've seen it since I've seen Infernal Affairs which is the original inspiration for the film. Um, have we all seen both or one? Both, yeah. Steve? Uh, I've seen The Departed. I've not seen Infernal Affairs. Okay. Well, Infernal Affairs, if people aren't familiar, is from Hong Kong. Um, and it was, a, you know, it made a big splash. And bizarrely, this is like, in terms of the IMDb Top 250... Uh, this is number 212, and The Departed is number 49, which tells you all you need to know about people like Steve who don't want to read subtitles. <laughs> um, but it was more the way that this, the way that the two films interact and can be compared. Um, and I think, actually, watching The Departed after I've seen Infernal Affairs, I, I became more respectful of how Scorsese has done the adaptation, shall we say. Because I've seen a lot of Hollywood adaptations of foreign films and they're generally shit. They're generally absolute dog shit. 
and this is this is it's just the really good thing of staying faithful but transforming enough of it to very American references to make it work perfectly and seamlessly as an American film. Yeah, it still does enough of a you know, a, a homage to the original to to be very respectful in that regard. It's it's a delicate balance to get. I think they get it right overall. I think the main thing for the department is the cast is absolutely outstanding. I mean it's just fantastic. You know, you got uh Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Matt Damon, Jack Nicholson, Mark Wahlberg, Martin Sheen, you've got Alec Baldwin, I'm trying to think who well, Ray fucking Winston with the worst accent in history. <laughs> I mean that oh that accent gets worse every time I see this film. It really is bad. But you know, the, the main performances from the, the main four I would consider are DiCaprio, Damon, um, Jack Nicholson and Wahlberg. And I think from the four of them they're absolutely outstanding. Um the the conversion between Hong Kong and Boston is as I say, the references are fantastic. And the sort of I, I started picking up on all the nuance on things like Nicholson uh, making sort of racial jokes and, and being racist towards different people and the fact that they've they've managed to transform this sort of Hong Kong underworld and not just try and carve and copy it but say, right, what are the elements of the Boston underworld and how can we mirror this but make it seem very authentic and make it very true to what we're trying to portray rather than the original material yet they haven't just pissed all over the original material like Hollywood tends to do they're not just trying to completely replicate it, which, you know, is a skill. It's a delicate skill. Mm. Um, and I also started picking up on all the X's as well, which is nice. Do we know about the X's in The Departed? Uh, I have heard it, but I can't remember what it is. Explain it, please. <laughs> yeah, basically, um, through the film, Scorsese puts little X's in the background uh, to signal deaths. Like so... Deaths. But to, to signal which characters are going to die, so there's things like there's an X on um, glass windows and things, and there's one where the light shining through the window creates an X, um, which is apparently is from the original Scarface, not the Pacino Scarface, but you know the 1932 mm-hmm. Howard Hawks Scarface, which I have seen, but it's a long time ago, so I can't really remember and I did not notice it at all. But yeah, it's a it's a nice little homage. I mean, it's lovely. Scorsese is so he loves cinema so much, and that always shines through and always works. And it was I think he he did very well with this in terms of you know he's not worked with Jack Nicholson before, and Jack Nicholson is superb in this. He did his usual thing of getting actors to do brilliant, brilliant things, um, and he. He, he says that he didn't watch Infernal Affairs until after he'd finished making The Departed, which I find very hard to believe. And there's all sorts of urban myths about how, you know, he didn't realise it was a remake when he signed on and then he refused to watch the, the original. But there, there's so much... I, he he is a, a lover of cinema and that comes through in this. There's so many different things and the, the camera work is fantastic. But it doesn't feel like it's a Scorsese film for the sake of being a Scorsese film, if that makes sense. You know, there aren't things that are just gratuitous for the sake of, oh, this is my trademark, I'm going to do it. Um, and overall, look, I really enjoyed Infernal Affairs. I think it's got a lot, it's, it's, it, it works in a different way 
but The Departed is, is a longer film for a start and I don't think it feels as tight and controlled it has more of that sprawling sort of HBO mini-series kind of feel to the characters and the way that they're developed and it works very well in that way but they're kind of I've realised that they're, they're quite different films even though they're the same source material just mm. purely because of the way they're being treated like that yeah, I mean, I watched, um, when I watched Infernal Affairs, it was just before we did our favourite cops triple bill, and I picked Leo DiCaprio in um, in The Departed as one of my favourite cops, um, much to the annoyance of everybody, because I didn't choose John McClane, but... Um, well, that's because you're just wrong on that. <laughs> let's, just, let's just remind everyone. Yeah, uh, anyway, <laughs> moving on. No, I, I really like Leonardo DiCaprio in that film. I think he's just, he's just... But a brilliant character. I think Tony Lung is... Is it Tony Lung who plays him in Infernal Affairs? Um, uh, Tony... Is it Tony Lau? Is that his name? I think Andy Lau plays the character Matt Damon plays. Anyway, whoever it was who played him in Infernal Affairs. I think they, they're both very good characters. But it's like you say, it's the same kind of story, but just it's got its own identity hasn't it the departed it's a, it's recognizable as the same story from infernal affairs i think but and it is it's a it's a very different sort of film and it's probably i think i just about preferred the departed infernal affairs i think the thing you say about identity is kind of what i'm trying to say because it has its, it has a very distinct identity about it and i haven't really i didn't appreciate that before i'd seen infernal affairs and then rewatched it I think it's very valuable to watch both films and compare them. I think yeah. that is, you know, anybody thinking, oh, you know, Hollywood remakes are always shit, or oh, I can't be off to the subtitle film. It's worth your while. And it's very interesting to see how two directors in two different geographies interpret the same material in different ways. It's, it's interesting yeah. as an artistic yeah. exercise. So now you've seen the, de- well, rewatch The Departed after Infernal Affairs. Which do you prefer? Um. I think I probably just about prefer The Departed. Hey, okay, good. Just about, but yeah. I, I really like Infernal Affairs. Yes, yeah. And I think it has a different feel to it and a different atmosphere. But I, 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 I really like Departed, but I think I get down on it because it's so highly rated on like top <laughs> two fifty lists and stuff, and it's not that good. It's a really good film, don't wrong, but it's not that good. I think it's one of my favourites of the decade. I really, I really do like The Departed. It's probably not Scorsese's best. You know, it's not as good as um, King of Comedy or, or Goodfellas, but, yeah, I think it's still a very good film. I, I'm trying to think. I mean, it's it's in the top 50. I know it's, like, equal to fucking Django Unchained on the list and stuff, and it's equal to The Dark Knight Rises. So you've got to take these things with a pinch of salt because they are sort of very populist. But... You know, in terms of the decade, there's a lot of films who that are better than that. If you ask me, you know, a lot of the Pixar films from the last from that decade are much better. There's, there's so many films I can think of that are better than that. It's not that it's a bad film. I don't want to get down on it. It's just there are a lot of films that come to my mind that are better than it. Good job you're doing that decade in film then, instead of yeah. Me. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's going to be on my 2006 list. Don't get me wrong. I'm not sure it'll be number one. Yeah. Okay. Um, Owen, other than the one that we're both doing, are you reviewing anything else? Uh, yes, I am. I'm very, just briefly, because I don't want to go on about a lot of films, I'm very briefly going to mention that I watched um, Rec 3, which I'm only mentioning it because it's a zombie film and because Jerry's here and it's a Spanish film. 
and I liked it better than the previous two films, which um, didn't go down too well when I talked about it on the uh, Football 365 forum, but I um, thought it was very good. I think it's a great homage to old school zombie films. Um, but anyway, the, other, the, the main film I really want to talk about, which I watched this week, is uh, Steven Soderbergh's final film before he retires, his last ever film, Behind the Candelabra, um, which is about Liberace and um, his relationship to a guy called Scott. So it, it basically chronicles their six-year relationship. And uh, there's a lot of things. I think me and James, James watched it as well. I know he's not here, but he, he sort of passed on his thoughts to me over Twitter. And we seem to be in agreement about pretty much everything. There's a lot of things about the film which are, are really good. There's individual points in the film which are just excellent, but it's not particularly brilliant for long stretches. So although you've got some really memorable and, and some quite you know clever sequences in the film... It doesn't really carry that through on a, a sort of sustainable period throughout the film, really. It just comes in chunks. Um, but it's a great film overall. I think um, just specific moments in the film. The first time you sort of see Liberace, and, which is, who's played by Michael Douglas and is just utterly fantastic in this. I think he's really just superb as, as Liberace. First time he sort of comes onto the screen um, is when he sort of sits down on stage and he's in his full... Um, regalia and he starts just playing something on the piano and you kind of get you do Scott the character who's played by Matt Damon um, who I'll come on to in a little in a little while he, he kind of gets caught up in the magic at the moment in, in, as part of the story and as as a viewer you, you you experience that through him which I think is partly because of how well the, the scene's shot by Soderbergh also it's because of Michael Douglas the way he sort of portrays Liberace and he's got this brilliant sort of on-stage presence which you pick up through the screen so you know it's kind of credit to both of them really for that um but yeah michael douglas he's just superb in this everything that he does the way he sort of speaks um his just movement through the film as he sort of glides across the sort of the stage and everything and just little gestures he makes and it's just it seems really precise i mean i was i'm too young to have grown up watching you know liberace's shows on TV that he had on every week and, you know, be a sort of family thing that everyone sits down and watches it. And I'm obviously too young for that. That was in the 50s. But I'm sure James probably watched it um, growing up. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, but I, I think it's just, it seems like it's really an accurate, accurate portrayal. You know, like how you think The Wire is really accurate, even though you've got no experience of Baltimore or, you know, the Sopranos, you think, oh, that must be exactly what it's like for these gangsters, even though you've got no personal experience of it. It kind of feels like that. It's got that same, it just feels real. And um, I think that, again, is credit to both Douglas and to, to Soderbergh. Um, no credit whatsoever to Matt Damon, though, who I thought was really just bland and wooden throughout the whole film. Um, I don't know whether he, he, he was acting this way on purpose, He was just, whether he's supposed to be this really kind of stiff... Um, and awkward kind of character just to be in juxtaposition with, you know, Liberace, uh, who's really extroverted and really over the top and everything's just kind of wild and, um, you know, extravagant with him. But I don't know, I, I'm kind of assuming that, no, I just think Matt Damon just wasn't very good in this, which I'm a bit disappointed by, because sometimes he can be quite good and sometimes he's a bit, you know, off form and you never really know which one you're going to get with him. But in the, in this case, yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't very good. But... Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the main thing I think which really worked in the film 
and I've spoken to a couple of people about it now, and it's not just me who's picked up on this. I think everyone who's seen it is getting the idea that it's a it's a great uh, biopic of how you know how to make it so it's really open to interpretation. You don't really get the sense of okay, so so Liberace was the bad guy in this story, and Scott was the innocent party. It's, you know, you don't you don't pick up that because at the same time. You know, it could be that Scott is guilty and he's taking advantage of Liberace just for this lifestyle. And is he actually gay? Is he just pretending to be gay? Or what's he doing? Is it just sort of something he's doing for himself? Or actually, is it that Liberace just basically turned Scott into a sort of vanity project, you know? Um, it's a great film like that. I think it's 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 the perfect way to do it in a biopic. And, um, yeah, it's just a very interestingly told story. Brilliant script. Um, and I really hope that Soderbergh changes his mind and comes out of retirement again. I hope he's just having a, a short break to get over how he's been treated and blah de blah de blah, um, and then eventually just step out of retirement and come back because after side effects earlier in the year, which I, I really loved that film, um, and now behind the candelabra, I just think it, it'd be a shame if he didn't make any more films. It would be a poorer world where his films um, weren't in it. Okay. Um, so before kind of a, a mini main review, if you will, I watched Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind this week um, for the first time. Uh, I liked it. Jerry will probably be a bit annoyed because I didn't think it was great. It was good, <laughs> but I didn't see what all the massive, you know, big hype was about. It was certainly good, enjoyable. Um, interesting, interesting um, subject matter and a bit Inception-y, but before Inception came out, obviously, sort of going into people's mm. minds and dreams and etc. Um, yeah, like I said, it was good. I don't think it was great, um, but Jim Carrey should do more non-comedy. Yeah, I, I don't want it to sound too hipsterish. I kind of watched it without knowing of any hype. You know, I didn't. I didn't know that there was a big positive thing about it. I just kind of watched it and I really enjoyed it. So I think I can see where you're coming from if it had got hyped up. Like with any film, when it gets really, really hyped up, I'd probably like it less because I expect too much of it. But ah, I really like that film. Although yeah, I still... Kate Winslet as like a purple-haired freak, it's just it, it doesn't quite sit right for me. I, I, could, I could get around my head around that. But yeah. Um, so me and Owen this week have both seen... The new Will Smith movie, um, After Earth. Yes, and um, I, think... I think again we're in agreement about this as well. But I'm I'm really looking forward to your review because I've got a feeling you're just going to rant about it, and that's one of the best things about the podcast. I think it's when Steve's got his teeth into a film that's really awful. It's just terrible. On but it's not one of the box office, Steve. Yeah. I, I say because it's Will. It's a Will Smith film. People will pay to go and see him. Yeah, yeah, how 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 many of the general public actually like look at film reviews before they go to the cinema, and how many of them go? There's a trailer. It's got Will Smith in it, and it's set in the future. I'm going. I, I, it worries me that a lot of people probably take it based on a star rating in the sun. Yeah. So mm. I imagine the sun probably rates a film like this quite highly. Maybe. I I wouldn't be able to tell you, but anyway, the story is um, <laughs> a thousand years into the future. Mankind have to leave Earth because they fucked it up so much they have to go. Um, and then Will Smith. Oh, and that's it, never happened before in any film ever. 
No. Especially not this year, even. No. Uh, wow. Will, Will Smith and his son, uh, Will Smith is called Cypher Rage, and his son's name I can't remember now, um, Katai, actually. Cypher Rage? Yes. But anyway, they are on a spaceship going to some other planet when they get hit by an asteroid and their ship crash lands on what is now Earth, but it's not really safe because in just a thousand years, everything has evolved to kill humans, which doesn't really make much sense to me in just a thousand years. I mean, how much evolution actually happens in a thousand years? Mankind hasn't changed much in a thousand years. We're probably a bit taller. <laughs> That's it. Any, anyway, um, the main problem I've got with this film is Jaden Smith because he can't act. He just seemed, think... he just can't act. Well, why has he got this role, Steve, if he can't act? I don't know, but he just can't act. I can't see any reason why he would get a big Hollywood part for no reason, but he's not got acting The the, the film is centred around the father-son relationship, um, and maybe they thought, you know, maybe... You just just expect, right, we don't even have to act a father-son relationship because we are father and son, but they can't... it, It just doesn't work. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's weird, isn't it? Because they they are related, yet it comes yeah. across as like they've never seen each other before. Mm. It's so weird. Um, but I don't. I think it's a bit harsh on Jaden. He he wasn't great in this film, but you know, a lot of people seem to be slating him a lot. Whereas for me, Will Smith was by far the worst actor in the film. I think it's probably his worst film. Well, I, Not I, just in terms of being a crap film, but, but also his worst performance. I, I think his character was bad, though, because as a dad, yeah. he was an absolute dick. He was. Just a, just he, a massive arse to his son, who as like a six-year-old child got his well, like watched his sister die and didn't do anything about it. He was like six. What was he meant to do? <laughs> Against some like big, massive alien thing. What was he meant to do? In all actuality. And his dad seemed to hold a grudge against him for it. It's just ridiculous. Yes. Um, yeah, it wasn't a great... Ca- it, neither of them were great characters, but, and it just contributed to a just awful film, really. But Will Smith came up with a story, apparently, um, mm. and originally... Wait, well, it's not apparently, he did, but apparently, it was apparently first going to be just sort of normal, current time, set in the wilderness, father and son, like on a camping trip, and it goes a bit wrong. And then he decided to throw space in there, and get M. Night Shyamalan to direct it, and his wife to produce it, and it's just a whole mess of a film. Mm. It's not even yeah. a, it's not even an original idea either, which which might have been a saving grace if they're trying to do something new. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I'm, I've always said that you know it doesn't matter how original a story is sometimes, as long as it's just done well, it's fine. Um, but here, you just kind of get the feeling that. They've not even thought about trying to do something not not necessarily originally, but to do it well. They just kind of copied and pasted it out of other films, which is a real shame because I think sometimes this film it looked quite good. Um, some of the shots with the uh, I mean, the, there's a, a I think it's in the trailer, but you see Jaden getting chased by this big bird. That looked really good. That was probably one of the better bits of the film. But then it, it's always followed by this horribly, just sickly sentimental stuff. So there's a bit later on where the bird features again, 
And it's just so, it's just cringeworthy. It's one of the worst scenes of a film. I don't know, even though Will Smith is writing it, I don't, why didn't anybody just stop him and say, wait, 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 you, you can't put that in that film. Nobody will take that seriously. Um, did it look good? Yeah, at times it did, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it, it in some ways it, it didn't look as good as Oblivion. Um, no. Which looked fantastic, but it you know it didn't look it didn't look bad. That wasn't the problem. It was it was the plot, not really the plot in some ways. The acting was the biggest problem. Making the characters and the story believable and, and engaging. Yes, and it was always just everything was really convenient in that film. He has to t- drink these like liquid things that. Um, Give him mean that he can he can draw in more oxygen from the atmosphere and stuff, um, just really conveniently as it's just about to run out. Oh, it, actually, he's got this other one, and then it goes on again. He goes, oh no, I've got another one. Even when he breaks too, you know that it's just going to be that. You know, he's just going to carry on and it's going to be fine because there's no way anything's going to happen to him. So it moves a lot of the tension. Um, just little things like that throughout the film, which just really. Uh, quite annoying. There's no way Will Smith is going to make a film, put his son in the lead role, and then have his son die. Mm. So there's no point in the film where you think anything bad's going to happen. No, to there's him. no real point that you think the main character, who's meant to be on like some kind of big survival mission, is not going to survive. There doesn't seem exactly. to be any. There doesn't seem to be much peril. Yeah, that's not, right. Not even mild, mild peril. It's perilous, if anything. It is. Yeah. Um, so yes, After Earth, don't go and watch it. Um, and Will Smith, stop writing stories, just act. Do Independence Day 2, I'll be happy, it's fine. <laughs> um, well, it'll probably make it really serious. Yeah. Do you, do you think, you know, he didn't... You know, Independence Day, Welcome to Earth with the F. They should have done that with After Earth. <laughs> really overpronounced Earth. Yes. Uh, right. So we'll have another quick break, then we'll be back with um, our Father's Day Triple Bill, Best Movie Fathers. So, Father's Day is Sunday, so hopefully you'd have listened to this before Father's Day, and remember to buy presents and cards and everything. But we will be doing a Triple Bill of the Best Movie Fathers, um, and Owen is going to start us off. Yeah, I will, because... James, the only one of us who's an actual dad, isn't available for the podcast about <laughs> movie fathers, which is um, odd. Uh, but okay, uh, my first choice um, is Martin Sheen, um, who plays Charlie Sheen's dad in Wall Street. Um, he plays the leader of some union workers. Uh, his name's Cole Fox, which is a cool name. Um, and he's basically the complete opposite to his ambitious, ambitious 80s guy, son um i think it's a great dynamic in that film and it works really well especially as charlie sheen's character just sees uh michael douglas as this father figure that he wants um basically i started thinking about this film because of um watching behind the candelabra this week with michael douglas and it just sort of popped into my head and i thought oh yeah he wasn't actually charlie sheen's dad in that it was martin sheen was his dad and yeah i think it's just a great film the dynamic between them works really well as i say um, and, you know, he's this kind of considerate, optimistic, sympathetic character. Um, and his son's just the complete opposite. He's just a massive bell end through the whole film, basically. Um, but it's a great performance, you know, 
when is Martin Sheen ever bad in anything? Um, but yeah, that's my first choice. I don't know if anyone else had picked him, but no. yeah, Wall Street. Um, okay, well, I'll go straight on to my second choice. Um, I, this might have crossover. I don't know, but Big Daddy. Uh, played crossover. Nick Cage. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I thought the character in Mark Miller's original comic was a decent character. He plays the father of um, uh, Hit Girl, and they're both kind of heroic, vigilante, assassin types. Um, but in the film adaptation, he's improved on so much more, and I'm going to put that down to mostly the way that Cage portrays him. Um, it is an excellent performance from Nick Cage, one of his best. Yeah, and I think that kind of elevates it into getting into my top three because, I mean, it's a film we've talked about a lot before anyway, so I don't think we need to go, go on too much about the film itself, but I think it works so well as a character and especially as a father because of the way it sort of satirises, you know, Batman's relationship to Robin. I mean, is it right that someone is raising a young child to be this sort of hero and going hitting people and teaching them all these things that, you know, they're not supposed to do. Um, <clears throat> so it's, you know, it's it's quite cleverly crafted character anyway, but it's just because he's so funny, I think, and just that, you know, Adam West-style delivery of lines and things, it just makes him a great character, a great film character. Yeah, and I think, you know, ultimately he sacrifices everything for, for his daughter. Yeah. He makes a good dad. He does his best to sort of make her... Make a mark on the world and have an impact, shall we say? Whether that's the right one or the wrong one is another debate. And he also has an epic mustache. That was one of my criteria. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, it's um, yeah, you're right. It's it's partly he's a good dad in the sense that he, what he thinks he's doing is right for his daughter. You know, everything he's doing is to to help her really, even if what he's doing might not be necessarily uh, helping her in a real way. But you know. Um, yeah, very very good character. Um, my final choice that I've gone for is... Um, I was a bit unsure who to go for, actually, in The Godfather, but I had to go for The Godfather himself, you know, played by Marlon Brando. And I was a little bit unsure about, again, whether this is a good dad or a bad dad. But I think he just basically... He's very distanced from his son and the rest of his family in a very close way. And he acts as more of, like, a boss of the family. Um, But again, it's that thing where he's almost sacrificing himself um, to be better for his family. And I think, although sort of Al Pacino's character, he doesn't really understand that until, or perhaps until the very end of the film... um, it's it's that sort of sacrifice and doing what he what he can for his family that makes him a good dad, I think. But again, it's probably a grey area with with um, with the Corleones. So, but yeah, he's a great film dad, anyway. Yeah, you know, um, very watchable. Who who is your bad dad? Well, bad dad is played by Willem Dafoe uh, in Lars von Trier's film Antichrist. Um, I've talked about it on the podcast before. It's a very, very disturbing film. Um, basically, uh, you know, I get in this film that Willem Dafoe, he loves his son. And it's the loss of his son very early on in the film that motivates everything else that happens throughout the rest of the, the story. Uh, you know, driving him and his wife to the sort of brink of madness and possibly even beyond that. Um, 
But seriously, I mean, leaving his young child unsupervised in a room where he has access to an open window that he can crawl out of on the first floor of a building while he's in another room just shagging his wife. That's got to be the definition of bad parenting, surely. That is, yeah, he's just a, a bad dad. Oh, wait, I, I was I was expecting you to, to have the guy out on Night of the Hunter as your worst dad. <laughs> uh, mm, it's debatable. He didn't really come into my list, actually, but... Is he actually their dad, though, or is he just their stepdad? In Night of the Hunter, the dad... Well, well, the, the dad is the guy who's killed very early on in the film, isn't he? The guy who robbed the bank. I've not seen it. I just remember you oh, okay. from it. Well, in the, yeah, it's in the very early part of the film, their dad has robbed the bank and he sort of turns up at their uh, house and he hides some... He stashes some money somewhere and only the kids know where the money is. And then he gets killed by this priest. Um... Or not priest, sorry, this preacher guy who then chases the kids all around um, whatever part of America it's in, I forget. So I suppose in some way he's a bad dad. But, yeah, I know who you're, you're thinking of. The preacher isn't um, uh, Robert Mitchum. He's not He's not the dad. But if he was, he would be a very bad dad. He's a father figure. He's a father figure-ish, yeah. He wants to be. He becomes a stepdad, but they don't ever really accept him as the dad. Okay. That's, yeah. <laughs> um, well, my three. I don't know if it's a start or end on the one that's gonna annoy Owen and cause an argument. <laughs> I'm waiting for this. I know it's coming. I'll leave From it. The, moment the list was uh, thought up. I knew it was gonna be in there. I'll leave it till last. Then uh, <laughs> okay. the first choice on my list is Nemo's dad, Marlin from Finding Nemo. Oh, we've got a crossover here, but not with me. No. With James, it's one of James's picks. Because he is, while overprotective, um, and in, in a way causes his son to go missing, he is a brilliant dad because he never gives up and like traverses a whole ocean to find his son, and then ends up like getting him out of a dentist's office somehow. Um, but like everything that he goes through, going through sharks and mines and currents and birds that tried to eat him and everything just to find his son um, and put up with that annoying Dory character as well <laughs> for the whole yeah. trip J- James has got down that he's an overprotective dad who overcomes his fear of literally everything to find his own son which is basically what yeah. you just said yeah including Dory yes <laughs> um I actually didn't like in the film. I just thought it was irritating all the way through. Yeah, who, is it, who voices her? Is it um? Oh, it's not Sarah Silverman. I think is it, it she, is. That rings is a it bell. Sarah Silverman? Rings a bell. Yeah, I don't think I. You know, finding Nemo is an all right film, I think, but it's not the best Pixar dad, is he? What other, not... what other Pixar? There's no Pixar dad in Monsters Inc., Cars, the, Toy Story. Yeah, Mr. Incredible was close to making my list. Didn't he get his kids in, like, trouble, get bad guys and that? <laughs> um, yeah, but it's all about bringing the family back together again, isn't it? He does the right thing in the end. It's like if you said Homer Simpson was a bad dad. When is he a bad dad, or...? No, he's just a buffoon. Is where he is now. It depends on, yeah, I was going to say it depends when we're talking about Homer. Yeah. 
Um, the um, the episode of Home of the Heretic was on at the weekend, and it just oh, filled me with joy. I saw I saw I saw Homer at the bat last week, and that is just one of the best ever. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, both of those are some of the best TV ever ever written. It's just fantastic. Yeah. But uh, if we had to pick for a film, it would have to be the one from the Simpsons movie, which unfortunately is a modern interpretation mm, of Homer, yes. which wouldn't make the list. My second um, best movie, Dad, is a Mrs. And you're thinking, I can't think of any um, <laughs> transsexual movie dads. I mean, some of the movies that Jerry watches may be, but we can't really discuss that on this podcast. Um or for legal reasons. Yes, exactly. No, my second choice is is Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> because the the man, obviously, is called Daniel, played by Robin Williams. Brilliant performance in a in a feel good family film. He's he's a he's a good dad to start with as well, just a shit husband. So the wife goes a bit mad, and he ends up being not able to see his kids. So he ends up transforming himself into an old woman to become the kid's nanny so he can spend time with his kids and impart the kind of morals and life skills that his children need. Yeah. He's a funny dad, I suppose. It's when Robin Williams was funny, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah I but, you know, what does he do wrong throughout the film? Other than trick everyone. and <laughs> He lies to his kids, I suppose. Yeah, but he, he does it for the right reasons. Yeah, okay. I suppose if I can have uh, the Corleones, then you can have uh, can have uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Was have you watched Arrested Development? No. Uh, there's a brilliant spoof of Mrs. Doubtfire in that, where one of the characters plays um, <laughs> Miss, he plays uh, Mrs. Featherbottom, <laughs> who's this British version <laughs> of uh, basically, yeah, parodies that. It's brilliant. If you if you ever get around to watching Arrested Development, my God, there's some of the best stuff in it. And my final pick, just to annoy Owen more than anything else, <laughs> is Darth Vader. So is he your good dad or No, bad he's, dad? he's he's my third good dad. Oh, he, he's a contender for worst dad for me. Not, not for me, because he doesn't know his his kids are alive until the Empire strikes back. He thinks they died with the mum in childbirth. Doesn't know they exist. Then finds out, and by the Empire Strikes Back, all he's trying to do with Luke is spend time with his son, which is good. He's trying to get him a good job as second in charge of the galaxy. There's there's only one job better than that, which is first in charge of the galaxy. So he's trying to do that all the time behind his boss's back. And then in Return of the Jedi, he saves his son life, son's life. So Right, but he's, he's supposed to be this ridiculously powerful <laughs> Jedi slash Sith, right? Who's so in tune with the Force. And he blows up his daughter's home planet. Doesn't notice his daughter's home. <laughs> doesn't notice his daughter's home planet. Yeah, somehow doesn't... he doesn't notice this from the fourth. He he ha- he has his Death Star destroyed by his son. Doesn't realize. Doesn't notice his son. Force, he just, he does, all he goes, all he does is, oh, the force is strong with this one. He doesn't go, force is strong with this one. It's probably my son who I thought was dead. <laughs> <laughs> but then, what he figures out that Luke's his son. Goes right. What can I do to win him back? I know. I'll kidnap his best mate, torture him, and uh, stick him in a big uh, carbonite block. Every kid has got an annoying mate who their dad wouldn't like. And then <laughs> they'll do a bounty hunter. He's like, 
Han Solo is just Millhouse in in Darth <laughs> Vader's eyes. Yeah, he slices his son's off. arm off. Yeah, it's, it, the you know the the Jedi Sith equivalent of a clip round the ear. <laughs> they got bionic hands. Nothing can get over. It's a good dad, then I suppose, isn't he? Yep. Yeah. Like, like I said, try to spend more time with his son. Try to get him a good job. Saves his life. What's wrong with that? Well, the fact that he I mean, he kills entire planets of people. But that's nothing to do with his father fathering ability. He causes he causes a lifetime of abuse and neglect and maims them and seriously injures them and fucking <laughs> uses them emotionally and then suddenly has a bit of a turnaround in the last moment after he's tried to kill them repeatedly and that suddenly makes him a good dad, does it? He's never he never kicked off on Luke. Luke was the one who was always kicking off on him. He, he, he chopped his fucking hand off. Yeah, but Luke started it. <laughs> teenage angst. <laughs> oh my god. We're never going to win this argument, I don't think. Never. Um, my, wor- <laughs> my worst movie, Dad, is is Kevin's dad from Home Alone 1 and 2. Because when you're going away in that, a, the dad's <laughs> job is, is meant to be like organising it like a military operation. And that should be down to counting how many people are in your family that are actually present. And twice he manages to leave Kevin at home on his own. <laughs> terrible, yeah. terrible. We had a couple of suggestions of this for, from Twitter as well. I think it was uh, Wiley, uh, at Wiley365 who mentioned him. Just booked off to another country and totally forgotten. I think that's fair enough reason. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think we'll um, go with the other comparison to, <laughs> no. to what he made to, to Kevin's dad. Um, we'll tell Jerry when we're off air. <laughs> Um, but yes. yes, we won't mention that on anything that gets published. No, um, Jerry. Now we're on to your choices. You've got you've got two left. Okay. Um, my first one is actually a com- I don't, we've not had enough comedy dads in this list. It's Jim's dad from American Pie. I don't know his real name. It's Jim's dad. <laughs> Did his actual <laughs> real name ever get? said in the film because I, I, I remember watching the reunion one and he was only ever introduced or spoken of as Jim's dad um, I, I think can hear is. the sound of furious typing as someone's googling her I know well I know the actor's name I don't know the yeah. name of his fucking character he's <laughs> Mr whatever that his son's name is yeah um, yeah what is his surname I don't even know his name. No. Anyway. Just Jim's dad. We know who you mean. Yeah, Eugene Levy's character. I know Eugene Levy. You know, that's it. That's enough for me. He's, you know, he's really funny. He's brilliantly awkward. He's, I mean, he's got a heart of gold as well, and he always means well. But I think he's the source of some of the best comedy in those films. And even in the, sort of, as the quality dipped in them, shall we say, he remained reasonably good. Although I think in band camp and things like that, he, he was the only one who stuck through all the films as well. It's a bit of a worrying time, but yeah, yeah I like Jim's dad. He's, he's really funny. And he banged stuff as well at the end as well. Sorry, <laughs> to, sorry to spoil the reunion for anyone, but yeah, he banged stuff as well. Because he's a lad. <laughs> yeah, surprisingly, not many. I don't think anyone mentioned him on Twitter, but he's a good suggestion. Because he's one of the funnier things about that film. Well, well I've only seen the first one, but. 
Have you seen the first one? Wow. I think so. Which one's the one where he goes to the band camp? Is that the second one? Yeah. Uh, it kind of goes to the band camp in all of them. Oh. In a few of them. Oh, okay. I had no idea then. I think he plays a trumpet at some point and it's very awkward. I think that's the first one. Okay, yeah, probably only the first one then. Wow. Oh, you should check that out. Man. Although I think maybe it's the kind of film that you need to watch as a teenager to really piss yourself laughing at. But it's, they're yeah. still fun. Anyway. I remember, yeah, I remember liking the first one. I'll, I'll have a look. Okay. Like, I don't know how you've avoided them all these years, to be honest. <laughs> they're on TV all the time. Yeah, they're on like every other week. <laughs> uh, my final choice, which I know has crossover with James, is Guido from Life is Beautiful. What's his full name, Owen? Uh, I've just got Guido here, and he's oh. played by Roberto Benigni. Ben- ben- I don't know how you pronounce his surname. Benigni? Benigni? Ben- uh, Benigni, I say. I don't know. It's my uncouth Yorkshire Benigni. <laughs> um, yeah. I assume James would know his full name. Uh, he's just... He's engaging for every single millisecond that he's on screen, which is a lot of this film because he directed it and starred in it and he, he likes his own face. But he's just brilliant. He's genuine. He's funny. And I don't want to give away too much about the film because there is, you know, it's a, it's a two-part film and we've talked about this before. Uh, but he does everything he possibly can for his son in the most terrible circumstances and in unimaginable situations. And he is just wonderful. And he, the sacrifices he makes and the, the lengths he goes to to protect his son are just brilliant. And, he, you know, he succeeds brilliantly. And no matter what the personal cost is or, you know, the toll it takes on him, he's just fantastic. He's the ultimate dad. It's just brilliant. And it makes James cry like a fucking baby every time he watches it as well, for precisely this reason. Because as a father, he said he says it just ruins him. <laughs> what what yeah. did James have to say about him? James said, um, first half of the film, he is a wonderful, loving father and a clownish figure who makes everyone laugh. In the second half, he goes above and beyond to protect his son from the true horrors of the Nazi concentration camp they are sent to. Utterly heartbreaking. So, yeah, pretty much exactly what you've just said about the heartbreaking stuff. Except you gave a bit more of a spoiler than I did, but yeah. Oh, did he? Oh, James. I'm shaking my fist now. When you're editing this, yeah, you spoiler, spoiler alert, massive. (laughs) Edit that back out. Yes. No, it's it's fantastic. I mean, if anybody's not seen Life is Beautiful still, it's one of those films I didn't get around to watching for a long time. It's just fantastic. Brilliant. Yeah, I I paid to rent that film from uh, Blink Box, I think it was. I think I paid the 99p or whatever it was to rent it. Forgot I had it on there, expired. I went to watch it one day and it had already gone. Gutted. The amount of films that you must have watched in the time that that was available as well. I know, I know. Must have seen at least 200 films <laughs> as possible. Um, so, Jerry, what is your bad dad? My bad dad is, it's a really obvious one. But it's Jack Torrance from The Shining. Yes, popular as well. He is a shit dad. Yeah. He is. He is crap. I mean, he's a bad husband and he's a bad dad. You know, I mean, he starts off, he kind of, you know, he's he's a bit of a dickhead anyway. The reason they're there is because he's a dickhead, because he's an alcoholic. And doesn't he, like, abuse a kid or something or attack someone? I don't know. Um... 
and he's a dickhead, and then they go to this fucking horrible, decrepit, remote hotel, and then he goes fucking mental and just tries to kill everyone, including his own kid. And fucking chases his own kid through a maze and tries to kill him. Yeah. It's um, it pretty bad. One of my favourite Twitter comments, actually, I keep talking about Twitter tonight, but one of my favourite, it was quite a popular topic, but one of my favourite comments was from at Satisfied Fool. Um, it says, Jackie in The Shining was a bit of a knobhead, showed a complete disregard for fire safety when he nicked that fire axe. Oh, that was quite good. Yeah, poor Halloran. <laughs> uh, okay, um, what was James's one choice that hasn't been crossed over yet then? Uh, he chose Clifford Worley, um, played by Dennis Hopper, in, from True Romance. He says, played against type, Hopper plays the dad who hasn't seen his son in ages, but is still there for him, especially when a frightening gangster, played by Christopher Walken, comes looking for him. What, what was his bad dad? His bad dad was Agami Ito from the Lone Wolf and Cub series. Uh, um says, your wife is killed and you seek vengeance against infinite foes. <laughs> you give your infant boy a choice of coming with you into battle or killing him first. Never heard of daycare? Uh, I think that's a good choice, actually. It's pretty irresponsible to take your kid along with you to go and slay a load of enemies. Pretty, pretty, pretty bad, Dad. Oh, I suppose so. I mean, <laughs> well, it's not, not, not Darth Vader levels of dad ship, so... Um, right, what what other suggestions did we have from elsewhere? I think we've covered quite a lot. And I think a couple that haven't been mentioned, someone uh, at Stakehead um, said, uh, not an actual dad. So I don't know whether this counts, actually. This is not an actual dad, but Hugh Grant in About a Boy is quality. That was one of the more uh, unusual suggestions that we had. Um, we had uh, Jim Belushi in Curly Sue. Uh, who was uh, mentioned by at Two Pink Peonies. That's not... Yeah, Two Pink Peonies, apparently, said that. And uh, Steve Martin, Cheap by the Dozen. Bad Dad was George McFly. Oh, yeah, George McFly's a good show. Yeah, not bad show. Um, who else did we have? We had quite a few, actually. But, um, yeah, I think we've covered most of them, though. Okay. Um, so we'll have a little, another quick break and then we'll um, give you some recommendations of what to watch uh, on the telly or elsewhere this week um, and tell you what's coming up next week and all that. Right, so to round off this week's podcast... Uh, we're going to recommend you what to watch on television or Netflix or whatever this week. Uh, I have gone for Saturday afternoon, film four, uh, starting at 14.45, quarter to three in old money. Uh, after discussion between Jerry and myself's pre-podcast, The Truman Show, starring Jim Carrey. A great choice. Yeah, yes, very good. Um, Jerry, your choice is... Got to, quickly. Um, if you are bored on Friday night and you want a bit of a night in, Ghostbusters is on Five Star at Night, a fucking classic film. Um, you've also got the option of Unforgiven as well on Five USA, so they're, they're doing quite well, Channel Five. And then when it gets a bit later, you want a bit of, you know, something a bit more racy on Secretary is on Film 4 at 11.05. Sexy-ass film. 
Mm. Would have thought that'd be the Channel Five late night film, but yeah, it's like it's the wrong way round, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, they stopped doing that now. You know, back back in the day when they first opened up, and like ten o'clock on a Friday night was really, really, really softcore grot. Yeah, yeah, I remember those days. Yeah, remember. Owen's pretending he doesn't, but he does. I'm just thinking. I remember them being quite racy at the time. I thought they were quite hardcore, but I'm thinking about it now. It's probably just my young innocent mind. Wasn't wasn't there something called Red Shoe Diaries with um, David Duchovny, like as some person who seemed to get like dirty stories written to him? <laughs> what I don't know. I imagine David Duchovny probably does get the dirty stories written <laughs> it to him. De- quite it, it, it definitely happened. It was definitely a real thing. Yeah. You can Google it and everything. They used to have some good stuff on Channel Five back then. Anyone watch Lex? No. It was a nope. weird space kind of comedy drama series thing. That was weird. It was good, but it was weird. Also, anyway. the, like, the five have got all the Superman. They've got Superman films on and stuff. Yeah, well, it's... my choice Yeah, my choice this week is Superman 2, which is on 5 USA. I'm, I'm going to start the controversy early. Why Superman 2 and not Superman 1, eh? Uh, Superman 2, I think, is a better film. It's just about. I mean, is it though? Actually, the, the Richard Donner cut is probably the better film. Superman 2, the uh, Lester version, probably, actually, yeah, not so good. But, yeah, Superman 2 is pretty underrated, so I'm going to give that some love. It's on Saturday at 6.25 on 5 USA. I should find out as well. Ghostbusters is on, like, all the fucking time. It's on like all weekend. Yeah, you want. Yeah. You can't miss it. It's 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 on more than um, ITV Two used to show Hot Fuzz. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah. Uh, next week then is I believe our Superman Man of Steel special. It is. Which will I'm be quite looking forward to. It. Which will be akin to the other specials we've done before, where we kind of all have to review films of a certain actor in the film, and then. Do the main thing as well. Um, James would have explained it much better, but he's not here. So. <laughs> yeah, wait to sell it, Steve. Yeah. Basically, Superman. We'll be talking about Superman. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so thanks for listening. Thanks to everyone who contributed, including Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com for the music. Uh, see you all next week. The Fail Critics Podcast was devised and produced by James Diamond, hosted by Steve Norman with contributions from Owen Hughes and Jerry McCauley. Music is provided by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com and you can find us at failedcritics.com and on Twitter at at failedcritics. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.